You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. I'm so glad you are here, students. Glad you're back. So good to see your beautiful faces. Um, I had this thought during worship, just hit me, that this truly is a holy moment. Anytime we gather, it's truly a holy moment. I mean, for two reasons. One, because we're worshiping a holy God. But secondly, holy means set apart. And this truly is, anytime we gather, this is a unique collection of people. Never again will we have this exact combination of people gathering in a room, lifting up our voices to God and, and, and seeking to hear from him through his word. Never again will we have this combination of people. Statistically, I just guarantee you it's an impossibility. This is a holy moment. And sometimes I, be, I believe just because the church doors are open every single Sunday, we can fool ourselves into believing this is just another Sunday. It's just a mundane Sunday. I'm going to come and go through the motions. That is so far from the truth, from the reality. That just hit me during worship as we just had an amazing, amazing time worshiping God together. This is a holy moment. And so I pray anytime we gather together, there's this sense of expectation and and, and humility to say, God, what do you have for me today? This is a moment. I only get this opportunity once. And so I, I pray I'd make the most of it. I, I pray that would be the, the posture of your heart this morning. We're going to dive into God's word. As Joe said, uh, you can open up your Bibles to me, Nehemiah chapter 1. But I do want to piggyback off of what Joe said regarding the book. It will be free in the lobby. For those of you that did not receive it um, last week, so don't grab two copies. Um, you can install the second one or something. Don't do that. That's not cool. This is a gift. I wrote it for you as a gift, and I want everyone to get a free copy. If you like a Kindle version, you can get that on Amazon as well for five bucks. Or um, actually, this week finally became available for those that love audiobooks um, the Audible version. It's on iTunes and Audible and, and Amazon. So you can get the audiobook version. So, literally, as Joe said, it sounds like I'm reading you. Well, on the audiobook version, I am reading it to you. You just take me along, stick me in your pocket, and there I will be reading you uh, the 12 chapters of this book. Um, and it turned out really well, so I'm really excited about that. You can check that out online. For those of you that hadn't heard, uh, this is 12 chapters, and the, and the way each chapter is written, it's at the end of every chapter, there's, there's an opportunity for you to then respond to the truth that's been revealed. Prayer cannot be taught in the classroom, nor taught simply through a book, so we, it has to be experienced. We're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning, but at the end of each chapter, we give space for, for that, for you to then experience the scriptural truth that's talked about. So it's more like a devotional, and what a great way to kick off uh, this new year together as a church family, then resetting our hearts, recalibrating our hearts on this foundational kingdom uh, practice of seeking the face of God, of intercession and prayer, and, and fostering uh, just intimacy with God. Amen. So Nehemiah chapter 1, I'm going to share a message with you this morning. In this, this theme for the, over the next, uh, really, first half of the semester, discovering the power of prayer. I want more and more and more and more people to encounter the power of intimacy with God. And um, we're going to do that this morning through Nehemiah chapter 1. So let's read, really starting right, right away, verse 1 here. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. As I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. 
And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exiles in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have, have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant, Moses. Remember the words that you're, you're, you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. And Nehemiah embarks on a grand adventure of faith, pursuing God's best for the nation of Israel, for, the, for his hometown of Jerusalem. And it really comes through the place of prayer. He sees tragedy, he sees chaos, he hears of an injustice, and it compels him to the place of prayer. And this morning, I want to invite you into a, a posture as a, as a follower of Jesus, as a kingdom person. It should be all of our posture of going to the place of prayer and embarking on this adventure of faith. I want us to say yes to that over our lives time and time again, to trust God, to take him at his word. Two years ago, for me and my wife's 10-year anniversary, we got to take a trip to the island of Maui. And Maui is a magical place. They're in the, the chain of islands, the Hawaiian Islands. It is an amazing place. Honestly, throughout the week, we were pinching each other, just saying, is this real? Is this real? This is amazing. It still feels like it was a dream. It's just an amazing place. Um, and we explored most of the island, and we just relaxed on the beach. And it, was, it happened to be uh, the season in which humpback whales were, were there and great populations. I mean, we'd look out on, out on the water and they'd be breaching constantly. It was just phenomenal experience. Most afternoons, though, there in Maui, we'd find ourselves sitting on the beach, either on a beach towel or a cabana, and just enjoying the, the 80 degree weather and watching the whales breach in the distance and reading a book. It was a magical moment. What a great way to celebrate 10 years of, of marriage. It was amazing. Let's go. Let's go again. <laughs> Why, we don't have to wait till 20. Let's go again. Um, there we were in our cabana day after day, and after a couple days of this, we were on Kanapali Beach uh, on, on the island of Maui, and we'd be watching a very busy bay there on Kanapali Beach. We, we, where our hotel was, there was this, this um, landmass that jutted out from the island out into the ocean about a quarter mile, and there in the end, there was about a 30-foot cliff. And afternoon after afternoon, we'd be watching people jump off this cliff. It just seemed awesome. Oh, wow, what a, what a great experience. I w w wish we could do that. Well, one day I finally looked at my wife and I said, I'm going to go jump off that cliff. I'm going to go for it. And so there I went. I said, I'm going to go for it. I jump in the water. I get over the first few waves, and then I start swimming. And as a simple Midwestern kid, I, I, I quickly learned a few things. 
I learned that scale in the ocean is very deceiving. And it looked like it wasn't very far out there, but I quickly realized that is a long ways to that point because I wasn't making very, very much traction very quickly. I also realized those waves are really, really strong. So to get past those initial waves, it took a lot of energy. So there I was about a, a quarter of the way, so not very far at all, and I, I quickly felt my, my strength waning, my energy waning. I was like, this is way more difficult than I thought it would be. About a third of the way, though, I started to panic. My heart sank, and I, and I really, honest to God, felt like I was not going to make it, and I was going to die. And I started to panic. Honestly, I, I considered the, the situation, because this was a, a busy beach. There were people everywhere, but no one was watching out for me. So I was confident there. I was just going to sink to the bottom of the ocean. And my wife, in the midst of all the business, I can't imagine she was watching me out there as I made my journey to this point. I turned around with everything that I had in me, and my life flashing before my eyes, I started to swim back to shore. Everything that I had in me. I barely made it there. And, you know, if you have like a, um, a, a wisp with uh, death like that, like with, you're about to die, and then you feel the, the sand below your toes, that is an amazing feeling. I remember feeling the ground and, and crawling up on the beach and just thanking God for, for life. I went up on the beach, and I sat back down on my cabana, and I told my wife I almost died out there. I am so thankful to be here. Uh, I almost died. And we sat there, and we relaxed for like 10 or 15 minutes. Then I looked at my wife, and I said, I'm going to go jump off that cliff, though. I'm going to go for it. And so I got back up from my cabana, and, and what a lot of people weren't doing, a lot of people were just swimming around there, and then they'd climb up the cliffs, and then they'd jump off them. Well, the, the land that jutted out from the island was all this volcanic rock. So I said, I'm just going to hike out there to the point. And so that's what I did. I, it was pretty treacherous, and my feet got cut up, but I got there. I got to the, to the point about a quarter mile out there, and I jumped off this cliff, and it just felt amazing. This rush of, of the exhilaration of free fall, it was amazing. I've, I've had the experience of jumping off cliffs now in three different continents in, and all over the United States as well, and it's just become a little pastime for myself to, to, I guess I can overcome heights, I can't overcome swimming, and I do have a fear of drowning now, um, but heights are no problem. So I, I also realized, I quickly learned that I am not a good swimmer. Uh, I kind of had that idea in my head, but I, I, that was just confirmed that day. But that, that whole concept of, of free falling and taking a risk and, and jumping, that, that leap of faith, I feel like really captures a banner that, and a value that I have over my life. That I would rather fail trying than, than failing to try altogether. I'd rather move and, and, and take risk and, and fail trusting God than fail to trust God at all with my life. It's become just a banner in my life. I remember in middle school when I jumped off the first cliff that I had ever jumped off in, uh, as like an eighth grader in, in Guatemala. This, this was about 45 feet high, uh, this cliff. And that always stuck with me, that, that idea of free fall and trusting. That's what God is calling us to. He's not calling us to passivity and safety in our little cabana on the beach. Watching others experience this amazing adventure of faith. God is calling us to jump all in, to trust him with all that we are, to take risks, to take him at his word. In Nehemiah here, he was one who, who lived in the comfort of the, the, the court of the king. He had it made. He, he walked in a pretty prestigious position. 
he could have heard this report from Jerusalem and said, okay, well, they should take care of it. I'm here, I'm serving the king. I don't, want, don't, don't bother me with these reports. Instead, he, he allowed this, this God that he knew intimately, he knew his character, he knew his redemptive plan was, was in the works. He allowed this report to move him to the place of action in the kingdom, which is the place of prayer. Where you're stepping out in faith and saying, God, I trust you that you can move in this situation, that you can do the impossible. And that's what I want with my life. I want to jump all in. I want to trust God. And prayer is an adventure of faith. And I pray this morning that you'd be captured by it. But the potential of what's at stake. Last week we, we talked in Revelation chapter 3. That Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He's inviting you into something to push past apathy and contentment, and to buy from him this gold refined in the fire. There's something more for you that this world cannot offer you. And we experience, what we talked about last week is how the call of God on your life, which every single person in this place, if you have breath in your lungs, God has a purpose for your life. He has callings upon your life. And the basis for that calling is relationship with him. Those callings, those purposes will never be accomplished or fulfilled without this intimacy with him. And therefore, the conduit of expressing that relationship is prayer. That is the proper way to see prayer. When you view prayer as a conduit of expressing relationship with God Almighty, then prayer is not a, an obligation or a guilt-ridden, uh, wishful experiment. Prayer is your, your life source of intimacy with God, and, it's, and it becomes very simple at that moment. It's simply you expressing relationship with God Almighty, this God that pursued you and bought you, bought you with the price and is calling you to amazingly big things, bigger things than you can even imagine. That is prayer. And so when we think of prayer in that context, it brings us to our main point for this morning, what I, what I hope we can capture from Nehemiah chapter 1, which starts with Nehemiah's just gut-wrenchingly honest and passionate prayer to God Almighty for his intervention, for God to move on his behalf. Prayer is the difference between greatness and failure in the kingdom of God. Prayer is the difference. Not obligatory prayer, religious prayer, dutiful prayer, scripted prayer, that wishful prayer, the prayers you throw up before a meal. But prayer as a conduit of expressing relationship with God, prayer then becomes the difference maker between greatness and failure. I want to expound on that this morning through this passage. The stakes are just too big. The magnitude of what is at stake is, is too big if you stop to think about it. We live in a, a, a beautiful moment in human history in which the, the Savior of all humanity has been revealed to us. Jesus says he is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's been revealed to you. That's, that's a responsibility now you carry. The stakes are so high. Not only has Jesus been revealed, but he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And on top of that, he's given us this, this book of promises. Promises of things that have not yet happened. Of, of things he desires for our city, that he desires for your family. The stakes are just too huge. They're too big. And I pray you, you sense the gravity of the, of the magnitude of what's at stake. I'll give you some context here to, to Nehemiah, because he sensed it. 
He was, he was tired of the nation of Israel just getting kicked around. And he wasn't going to allow his plush place of prosperity and comfort to excuse him from his responsibility to jump headfirst into this thing. And to, and to take a risk with God and trust that God can move in this situation. I already told you he was the cupbearer to the king. Prestigious position, prominent position. He was used to taking risks. I mean, he'd be the one who would take the cup uh, that was being served, and he'd take a sip from it to make sure the king's not going to get poisoned. He's used to taking risks, but, but this, at this point, was a, was a moment of sacrificing all that place of comfort as he heard this report coming from Jerusalem. You see, the, what happened here in the nation of Israel was the kingdom of Babylon had actually taken Israel captive into this exile hundreds of years prior. Then the kingdom of Persia came, and they, over, they overcame uh, Babylon. They took over. They were the new, the new rulers on the block. But the, the, the kings of Persia were much more merciful. And so about 100 years prior to Nehemiah, they started allowing groups of them to go back to Israel and to rebuild this, this nation, to rebuild Jerusalem. Prior generations, they had rebuilt the temple. They had established life again in Jerusalem. And so now decades had passed, and still now when Nehemiah's brother comes and his posse come, he asks them, what, what's the condition of, of Jerusalem? What's going on there? I want to hear the reports. I'm so interested in what God's doing. He hears the report that still the walls are in shambles. They're still ruined with fire. They have not been rebuilt. And Nehemiah could have simply just allowed that to go in one, one ear and out the other. That could have been like shooting the breeze, you know, when you talk about the news or the weather. But no, he took it as a personal, a personal matter. Well, the, the magnitude of this is it's just too huge. He went into a season of months of fasting and prayer, of contending and of intercession because of this God that he knew intimately. I pray that would be us. I pray that the fear of inaction would be greater than the fear of action. The fear of passivity and missing what God wants to do would be greater than the fear of the risks of what could happen. We can always be paralyzed with, with the, all the, the long list of things that could happen. But I pray, I pray that would be so small compared to the, the fear of selling our God short and, the, and, and, and cheapening his promises that he's entrusted us with. We have been given too much for excuses. Can I tell you, excuses are easy to come upon. You can always say, oh, if I had more money, or if I didn't have so much money, if I didn't have so many responsibilities, then I could trust God. Or if, if I was older, then I could trust God. More, more experience under my belt, then I could make more calculated risks with God. Or when I was younger, I could have done those things. I could have trusted God for those big promises. Or someday when I get older and I establish myself with a family and with kids, or if you have a spouse and kids, you're like, oh, when, when I was younger, I could have done that. Or when, when the kids move out of the house, then I can trust God. The excuses are always there, and they will always be there. You get one shot at this, one, one opportunity to trust God with all of your life, to really step into the action of the kingdom, which is that place of prayer, to be compelled by the, by the injustices, by these tensions, these 
these places of chaos, that they drive us to the place of action, of kingdom action, which is the place of prayer. I want to just declare in faith a new normal for our church. We've been blessed with some amazing testimonies of God working in our midst. Last, last weekend, a, a, a lady came to our church. She was invited by her granddaughter to come to our church, and she had been in an accident 10 years prior, been, to, been in and out of physical therapy for the last 10 years. She received prayer after the service, and she walked out, never the same. A tear-filled car ride home. About an hour, she lived about an hour away from here. She was just contemplating how different her life would be now that she is healed. Last Sunday as well, she testified Friday night, Miss Anime, she had been not sleeping through the night. She received prayer, and now she's sleeping through the night. Praise God. We had a report in, in the tank on Friday night. We had an amazing just service celebrating what God is doing in our midst Friday night. And we had a number of individuals that got baptized in water. And one individual said he'd, him and his family had been away from church for 13 years. God brought them into our community, and they said, Church is wildly different than any, that's a, that's a quote. He said, church is wildly different than what I thought it could be. God, their eyes have been open to the goodness of God. The Christianity is not supposed to be boring. If Christianity is boring, then we're doing it wrong. That's you sitting in the cabana watching everyone else have fun. That's you sitting on the sidelines. That's you spectating. We're supposed to jump in. Yeah, you might get your feet cut up a little bit. You might have some brisk uh, moments of where it feels like you're brushing shoulders with death. That's the way it's supposed to be. You got one opportunity. I pray that the fear of inaction would be greater than the fear of action. So I just declare that as the new normal for our church. One, one just big prayer that I'm praying over our church is for sovereign healings. We know a God that heals, and my prayer is that people would walk in here, and people wouldn't even have to lay their hands on them, but they'd just get healed. That's my prayer. There's some individuals with, with big issues, with sicknesses and diseases that they're, 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 they're walking through, and I just pray God would heal them in, in his sovereign power as he can do. So this is greatness. If prayer is the difference between greatness and failure, this is, this is great. Greatness is taking God at his word. Simple childlike faith. When you read a promise of God, you don't first think about how this could not be true, but instead you say, okay, God, this is true. I want to experience it. I want to see it in my day, in my generation. And you're compelled to the place of prayer in faith. You don't ignore the fact that it's not a reality, but you don't allow that to stop you from driving you to the place of prayer and saying, God, where's the disconnect? I want to be a part of seeing this be a reality in our generation. And that was Nehemiah. He was sick of the nation of Israel sitting along in passivity, in mediocrity, allowing the status quo to be there in in just kind of survival mode. I would say that survival is not the goal. We have an amazing uh, board of trustees that help us oversee the finances and facilities facilities here um, of the church. And one thing we continually talk about how uh, one thing we continually talk about is how survival is not the goal. Our goal is not to keep the lights on. Our goal is not just to take up this this property from Burnett to Clark. That's not our goal. It's just to keep it in the black one more year. Our goal is to take new ground for the kingdom of Jesus. 
our goal is to, to, to get on our knees before God and say, God, what are you asking us to? Okay, we want to be obedient to that. Our goal is, is risk-filled, faith-filled obedience with great cost. And that is greatness in the kingdom of God. It's taking him at his word. That was Nehemiah. Could risk him his life talking to King Artaxerxes. He'd known some kings, and he knew they could be kind of cruel at moments. He knew, it could easily, he knew it could easily cost him his life there with the king. It could easily cost him his role, his position. And then who knows the, the, all the insurmountable um, risks that would come his way as he went out on this adventure to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But Nehemiah allowed the potential to push him into the place of prayer, risk-filled prayer. I want to read this promise. First, or 2 Peter chapter 1, this is on the screen, verses 3 and 4. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he granted, a, granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful nature. He's granted to you everything you need for life and godliness, through that intimate knowledge, intimate relationship with him. He's, he's given you, he's gifted you, this book full of his great and precious promises. He's equipped you. You don't lack anything. And I pray that you'd take him at his word in that. You say, oh, I feel like I'm lacking. I feel like I'm dragging. My life has all these issues. Instead of coming up with all these excuses, go to the place of prayer. Lift up the word to him and say, okay, God, you have equipped me. I want to experience it. I want it to become a reality. I want to see that come to pass the relationships that are in my life, the things that are most important to you. That's the way you begin to pray in faith as a person of kingdom action. I've had a number of people come to me and ask me, okay, Drew, what are you dreaming for 2019? As pastor of this church, what are you, what are you dreaming about? My, my dreams are very simple. Is that hundreds of people would come to know Jesus, would encounter Christ. That is my prayer. It's not about building big, bigger buildings and programs. It's about hundreds of people coming to know Jesus. We estimate that around 50 to 70 people made significant decisions for Christ in 2018. I praise God for every single soul. Every single one. Those genuine expressions of devotion and commitment to Jesus Christ, I, I thank God for every single one of them, but I know there's more. As I, as I look at the book of Acts, and it says that daily... Individuals were added to their number, those that were getting saved every single day. That's my prayer. And so as I look across our city, not that I have a perch that I can look across our city, but like as I consider the city that is before us in Story County, what the, what the U.S. Census Bureau tells us is that 50% of Story, County, of Story County considers themselves non-religious, religiously unaffiliated. That's hugely, that's far above the national average. 50% of our county considers themselves non-religious. That means the other 50%, they don't all know Christ. We have a huge mission field. And yet, we can allow ourselves to be dialed back to this place of mediocrity and, and passivity to say, I just hope we make it another year. I hope we just keep pace with where we were at last year. We've got to push beyond that. We've got to get into the place of prayer and, 
and, and open up the book of Acts and allow our hearts to dream again. See, I want to get to that point. I want to jump off that cliff. Yeah, I might get beat up. I may get bruised. There may, might be some, some moments where I ask big questions and some, some people may turn back. I may, I may feel like I'm going to give my life for this, but I'm going I'm to jump all in. I'm going to trust God and take him at his word. That is greatness. So then the other side is this. Failure in the kingdom of God is a failure to believe. Or, which I, th- I would say this second one is probably even more so de- descriptive of us, a failure to move on what we say we believe. That our belief would move from here to action. That is failure in the kingdom of God. There's a really clear picture of this. As Jesus tells a story about a father with his two sons, one of his sons says, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to do what you tell me to do, but he never goes. That's kingdom failure. The other son says he's not going to go, but then he changes his mind. He does go. So he has that. I, I think the second one finally went because he was actually counting the cost, and he was being honest on the outset. He's like, yeah, I can't do that, Father. Then he has that, that, that gut-wrenchingly honest moment where he wants to be obedient to his father, and then he goes. That's kingdom greatness. Is when you count the cost, and then you get up from your cabana and you go. You go for it. Failure is a failure to be obedient, a failure to believe, a failure to take God at his word, a failure to, to move beyond faith being mental assent. That has to be us. So very quickly, these aren't on the screen, this is just bonus but four ways in which you can increase your faith this, this year in 2019 and move from kingdom failure of passivity and mediocrity to kingdom greatness of kingdom action, of being compelled to the place of prayer. The first is this, is be honest. Be honest. You notice that Nehemiah's prayer was gut-wrenchingly honest. He's standing before a holy God, and he starts with prayers of repentance. That's how we started our week of prayer was, God, I return to you. God, I I take account of my own sins and the sins of my father and the sins of this generation, and we want to return to you. He's honest with God. You can be honest about your unbelief. I would encourage you to do so. And you can repent of that. You say, God, I repent of not taking you at your word. I repent of my unbelief. I actually, sometimes I read your promises and I, I lack the faith to believe that those could be a reality in our day and age. You can be honest with God. But the only caveat on that first one, be, please be honest with God. But don't work against yourself in that pursuit of honesty. I would say sometimes in a desire to be authentic with God, we actually dig ourselves a bigger hole by proclaiming things over our life that are are counter to faith, that are anti-faith. And I, I would just caution you to not dig yourself a bigger hole. Repent and believe. You don't have to say all the things from your life that are counter to that promise to build up some big case for why you don't believe. You don't have to say, God, I'll believe once I do all these things, or once you do all these things. No, just be honest with him. Repent of it. And then start with, start with what you do believe. If you believe Jesus is Lord, declare that. It's a great way to build your faith in honesty. Okay, God, I do believe that you are God. Jesus, you are God, Savior my soul. I believe that your word is authoritative. 
if you start with those like core beliefs that you do believe are, are true, are real, that you can say with conviction, it's a great, great way to start. But don't dig yourself a, a bigger hole. So first is just be honest. Second is this, is immerse yourself in God's promises. You notice that Nehemiah, he quickly quoted the, the promises given to Moses. Because he had immersed himself in God's redemptive story, he knew that this promise had been give, given to Moses that if, if, they, if the people of Israel returned to God, God would, would do this, that he would establish his, his presence amongst them as a God that dwells with them. So Nehemiah had immersed himself in God's promises, and I would encourage you to do the same. Speak those over your life. Study them for yourself and make them uh, personally compelling. A number of promises that I quote over my life, almost on a, on a, a daily basis, the first I do on a, a daily basis, Isaiah verses, or chapter 50, verses 4 and 5, Prophet Isaiah says this, that the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue so that I might have a word to sustain the weary. He wakens me morning by morning to hear like one being taught. That's a promise I speak over my life. Not because I always feel like I have an instructed tongue, but because every single person that I encounter, every time I talk with my kids, every time I, every conversation I have with my wife, I want to have an instructed tongue. And that's a promise I see prophesied over Jesus. And I say, I want that in my life. So I immerse myself in it. I speak it over my life. I pray it. Another promise I, I immerse myself in is John chapter 15, verse 5. It says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. It's not survival mode then. You are going to bear fruit in your life if you abide in Jesus. And that's a promise I proclaim over my life and I immerse myself in. A promise I know my wife immerses herself in is Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. That delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That compels her to this place of, okay, God, I want to delight in you because I know you're going to give me the desires of my heart as I walk in intimacy with you. Find those promises. Find those promises and immerse yourself in them. Choose to immerse yourself in them. If you're not compelled by any promises as a, as a follower of Jesus, there's, there's a problem. There's an issue. If you're sitting comfortably in the cabana and just soaking in the rays and just surviving and living, there's, there's a problem. There should be some point out there that says, i got to get there. i got to experience something more than what is the status quo now. Three is this, pray for faith. Pray for faith. I think that's a, a good thing to pray for. It's one of the, the core um, components of following Jesus, the ability to, to leave all, to follow Jesus. And so you can pray for faith. I think this follows in line with being honest. Pray for the, the grace, and he prays for that at the end. God, give, us, or give him mercy in the sight of this man. Give, him success, give your servant success. He's praying for that grace to persevere, to push through, to step out in faith. And you can pray that way as well. And fourth is this. Surround yourself with people that take risks and believe God for big things. It's been said that you are, at the end of a given year, you are the people that you surround yourself with, 
in the books that you read. I would say in the 21st century, there's, there's three. It's the people you surround yourself with, the books that you read, and the media that you consume. But if, if that's the case, that you are largely influenced by the people that you surround yourself with, I would encourage you to, to, to strategically surround yourself with people that build your faith, that push you beyond the status quo, that are taking risks, that push you to take risks. I am not telling you to not have friends that don't yet know Christ. That's completely different. I'm talking about with believers. Seek out those that are taking risks. Lock arms with them. Share your dreams that God has put on your heart with them so they can push you forward. Find some that are way out in front, crazy wild for Jesus, and say, okay, I want to know what what happened in their life because I want what they have. Surround yourself with those types of people. I believe you can change the status quo. You know, the status quo is relative to your environment. If you're around a bunch of cynics and uh, people that are full of doubt and unbelief that always just kind of poke holes in everything, that, that's the status quo. But when you pick yourself up out of that environment and you come over here and there's this faith-rich group of risk-takers that are out in front sprinting after things of God, that becomes the status quo. So change the status quo. You can do that in your life group and communities as you gather in your living room. You change the status quo as a follower of Jesus. We are going to be a people that pray in 2019. I'm telling you that. The tone was set last week, a Sunday and all week long. I mean, you could sense it this morning in worship. The tone is set. We're going to be a people that pray. So if you, we're going to close, but if, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes, bowing your head for, bowing your heads for a moment. I want us to respond to Jesus. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Nehemiah this morning. There you are comfortably in the court of the king and you get this report from your brother and his friends that the city is still in ruins, that there's still this huge injustice. I want you to be honest with God. It's not about me. Be honest with God this morning. Would you be a follower of God this morning that's compelled to action when you hear that report? Or would you be one that's more about, or more, more concerned about preserving your comfort? Be honest with God this morning. I'm not, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I just want you to have a moment with Jesus right now. Nehemiah, what, what would you do? You are Nehemiah this morning. Would you be compelled to action? Would you fast and pray? Would you be desperate? Would you immerse yourself in the promises of God and say, God, not not in my day, not in my time, not on my watch. There's going to be something great. There's going to be a new story. Just respond to God right now in your own way. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.